Hello and welcome to the global local talks of the German Book Office New Delhi. Hi, my name is Claudia Kaiser, Vice President of Frankfurt Book Fair or Frankfurter Buchmesse in Germany and Director at the German Book Office New Delhi. The German Book Office New Delhi, Frankfurt Book Fair's office in India, was established in 2008 in order to drive the exchange between the creative and publishing industries of our two countries. It is also supported by the Foreign Office of Germany. The Frankfurt Book Fair is the international publishing industry's biggest trade fair with more than 7,000 exhibitors from 104 countries, 300,000 visitors and 4,000 events. More than 10,000 journalists and bloggers from all over the world report about it. It is the most important international marketplace for creative intellectual property, not only in publishing, but also in the areas of film, games, technology, virtual reality and many others. It is also the place to find and spark new business opportunities and partners. Once again, welcome to the Global Local Talks. This podcast series features entrepreneurs, authors, and leaders making an impact on the publishing industry and the creative sector internationally. We dive into what it takes to succeed, especially in tough conditions, and the whole world, and especially the creative sectors, are facing huge challenges in the present situation where we fight the coronavirus the world over. So we need motivations and stimulations at this time. And therefore, we turn to publishing experts, writers, entrepreneurs to share with us their experience. This is the fourth podcast of the Global Local Talk series. Today, we will speak with Namita Gokali. hope I pronounced your last name correctly. Yes, am I right? Correct? Hi, lovely to be with you. Yeah, thank you so much for being here with us. Namita is not just an award-winning author of 19 books, 10 of which include brilliant works of fiction, but also the founder and co-director of one of the largest, if not the largest, literary festivals in the world, the Jaipur Literature Festival, which has gone international and is being shown in a number of countries. Namita is also very much involved in the literature festival in Bhutan. Last but not least, Namita is also the founder and publishing director of Yatra Books, a publishing house that specializes in translations and high-quality original fiction and publishes in many different languages. Once again, welcome to the show, Namita. Thanks for being here with us today and sharing your thoughts. I'm so excited to talk to you today. You're a writer, a publisher, a festival director, and you have written so many books, received literary awards, and you founded the festival, and uh, you're still its co-directors. That's a really amazing career, and I know that life has not always been kind to you. You had to face illness and the untimely death of your husband, so um, it's I appreciate so much that you're here and I really admire all of what you have done and achieved. Let's start with some questions about you as a writer. Uh, your many books are sometimes satirical, like your first book, which is a satire upon the New Delhi and Mumbai elite, but also love, passion, illness have shaped your work and you've published 19 books. How did you become a writer and what does writing mean for you? For me, writing is a form of thinking aloud, talking to myself, of understanding the things that I'm curious about, that I'm puzzled about, or that I want to share because I know them and nobody else knows some of those things. For example, the book set in the mountains, because I grew up there, I feel I'm one of the last people with those memories, and so I must share them. I came to writing because I was, in fact, studying English literature. 
in Delhi University. And I found that the curriculum there was very Anglophone. It was Chaucer and Shakespeare, and these are great things, but there was very little about Indian literature. In fact, nothing about Indian literature. So I chose a paper at that time, which included greater emphasis on Indian writing. And for a series of strange reasons and strange reactions, I was unable to give my exam that year. The story is too long to tell here, but as a result, I opted out of college. College opted out of me. And uh, I then started a film magazine which is where my career as a publisher began. People were surprised at my switch from literature to a film magazine, but it gave me the most wonderful, important grounding in popular culture. That ran for seven years, and then at the tender age of 26, I wrote my first novel. And my first novel was called Paro, Dreams of Passion. It was published when I was just about to be 28. And... um, It worked. You know, every book has a life of its own. This book did so well 35 years ago or something like that. And uh, it's been in print ever since. And uh, I wrote a sequel. So now we have a lovely book with flip-flop with the original book Paro and the sequel Priya in a turnaround way. And I love that edition. So And then I didn't write for 10 years because I was having a very, very difficult time personally. And then I had cancer when I was about 35. And when I had cancer, I thought, oh God, I better get down to my next book because I don't want to die without writing a few more books. So I quickly wrote my second book while recovering in the hospital and afterwards. And uh, then it went on and on and on. And sometimes I write very fast and sometimes I write very slowly, but I do have a predictable rhythm. So in the middle of all the other things I do, I do turn out some books. And they keep filling up my bookshelves. Wow. And, um, and at this particular time where everyone is at home and has to communicate via Zoom and other means, but cannot, we cannot meet, what does writing mean for you in this particular time? This has been one of the most productive times in my life because I tend to get caught up in lots of small details which are important but which do take away from the sort of total absorption and concentration which writing a novel deep from your heart involves. So I'm writing a novel which I had begun on in February. Fortunately, I began on it in February. I still remember the 9th of February or so. I was in Kathmandu and I was alone in my hotel room and I said, okay, time to begin. So I thought I'd begin it much later. And so when all this lockdown came about, I was already a little bit into the novel. So I said, okay. And it's coming to me. It's not that I'm forcing myself to write, but the novel is progressing. And we just heard today that the Delhi lockdown will be extended by the 15th of May or so perhaps. And I said, good, that works for me. 30th of May also works for me because I'm not going to step out of the house much except to see my grandchildren when I am finishing this book. And uh, the other book which has found time to at last see the light of day is a play that I have worked on for the last 10 years. My longtime collaborator, Dr. Malashi Lal, and I have worked on this play on the life of the Bengali poet of the last century, of the 18th century, Michael Madhusudan Dutt. And 19th century, what a man he was. The entire Bengal Renaissance was sparked and catalyzed by his vision of world literature. 
And so this is a play in five acts based on his letters. And uh, that's my tribute to the man. And let us see what happens to it. It will be published around July this year. And I hope to see it staged on digital theater, perhaps readings when the world cleans up, maybe a play. We'll see. So it is a way of bringing the word back to the, the word and the voice back to the text. And that exactly is what is happening in this moment of lockdown. That because we are locked down, the word is fly, flying free again. You're not sending me a textual interview. You're talking to me by through image, through voice, and we are really liberating the word. But we have to be very careless because when words become too frequent and too everywhere, they lose their magical quality, which they retain in a well-published, well-researched book. Yeah, sounds what interesting. Absolutely. And do you already have a plan for when the play will be staged and where? I know it's difficult to say uh, at this no. moment. but We were thinking of doing readings at the Jaipur Literature Festival in the British Library in London because there's a huge Bangla diaspora around the world, in Germany, in America, in France. Bangla is the sixth most spoken language in the world. It has a huge literary tradition. This is a play about the most underreported, hardly known, but actually most worshipped in a different segment, cult figure of this tragic writer. So I have a feeling it will find a life of its own. Right now, we're just struggling with the stage directions and the final typesetting and the final proofreading. It should be out by July. And I'm just, uh, it's given me a sense of satisfaction that through all this, I've managed to get this through. Yeah, sounds interesting and really exciting. I'd love to share it with you. Yeah. Because it is, he wrote in German as well. He wrote in French, German, Spanish. He was a polyglot. Mm. He was a multilingual and he began in Calcutta of those days with a huge influence of the romantic poets of Byron, of Keats, of Shelley through the Anglophone literature that he was studying and a particular teacher called D. Rosario. And in the end, he returned to Bangla. And he brought blank verse and the sonnet form to Bangla. But he wrote, as I said, in German, Italian, Spanish as well. He knew Latin. He mm. knew Greek. Uh, he, he was an amazing man. And it was really uh, before his times, he understood the pulse of world literature. Mm. Beginning, Paro, that's the latest. I've given you a graph of all the books I've done. And wish me luck for the novel I'm writing now. Yes, exactly. I, I think go. I'm going to come back to that at the end of our talk. And your works, I mean, the last the one before this new novel was the Jaipur Diaries, right? Which also uh, created quite the a The Jaipur Journal. Um, and um, has any of your works been translated into other languages yet? Two of my books have been translated into German. Uh, one was an early novel called God's Graves and Grandmother. Mm -hmm. And uh, one, surprisingly, was the anthology on Sita, which I did with Dr. Malashri Lal. And I did not expect that that would get attention, but it did. But uh, I'm, I'm sad to say that my books have been woefully under-translated. And I think the reason is that for the last 15 years of the Jaipur Literature Festival, 13 plus 2, I really put my writing in the back burner. I kept writing, but I didn't take any effort to promote them or to push them because I felt that what I was doing as a 
festival director, as the co-founder of the festival, I'm the co-founder with William, not just the founder alone. But what I was doing there was so much more important than any individual books I might have written. And I was always a bit hesitant to push myself during the festival. And I didn't neglect my own work, but I let it be. And then last year, I said, okay, I've done my bit. Now it's time to go back to my own books. So I hope the next time I talk to you, I'll give you, I'll roll off all those impressive 15 translation titles. <laughs> but yes, I have translated into, you know, Turkish, no French translation, strangely, into Dutch, but to a few Indian languages, but not as much as I would expect, considering that I have helped other people get so many books translated. But I've had some magnificent Hindi translation. A novel I wrote some years ago called uh, Things to Leave Behind, set in the mountains, was translated into Hindi by my cousin Pushpesh Pant, who's himself a very, very great scholar. And that was a fascinating exercise in translation because he was from the same place as me. So I gave him complete liberty. I said, don't think of it as a translation. Write it as you please. Add things you may think I have noticed. He didn't do much of that, but he could have. And as a result, my Hindi book has as much credibility because of the famous translator, maybe even more credibility than the English one. So I'm always, I'm passionate about translation and the need for translation. And uh, I have worked so many years in different ways in this, in Indian literature abroad, in Yatra with Neeta book, Neeta Gupta's wonderful uh, efforts in that direction with the Jaipur bookmark and many, many sessions which you all of you at the Frankfurt Book Fair gave us so much support of so many sessions, writers, speakers, thanks to the GBO. So all these things have made me passionate about translations. But I am glad to see that in India, at least, the internal translations between the Indian languages have reached different degree of self-confidence. They are not taken as somehow less than the an original book. And uh, my inspiration for that has always been the great European sense of books being translated across the European languages and presented confidently in different languages there. And when, uh, when you say that uh, there are a lot of translations into Hindi and other Indian languages, how does that happen? Is it that a translator wants to, or in the case you've just mentioned, someone wants to translate your novel because they like it and then they look for a publisher or is it done through agencies? There are increasingly a lot of agents within India who are pushing translations to the Indian languages. It's, um, there are two things, two factors at work here. One is there are some language groups and cultures that translate more easily into each other. Like I would say Gujarati and Marathi in the Indian languages are from the western part of India and they translate well into each other. Bangla literature, some of the greatest writers in, the, in India are from Bengal. But they don't, they are not receptive to translation, strangely. And translation... There's a lot of translation out of Bangla into the other Indian languages. But languages like Kannada are extremely aware of what is happening nationally and internationally. And uh, they encourage a lot of translations from across India, as does Malayalam, where I'm told uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez's book would be published almost simultaneously with the English in Malayalam. So there's a lot of influence there of Spanish literature, of German literature, of international literatures and all mm. the European literatures have impacted Hindi writing a lot and I'd say that it's just English which used to be very insular 
both in the UK and the US, but I hope is gradually beginning to listen to other things. And I, I really feel you can't be prescriptive about translations. You can't say we must translate. We have to understand what it is that each literary cluster, each reading community is receptive to. And we have to try to have the writers who fit into that mindset with titles that fit into that mindset. And uh, that does happen very often. And when mm -hmm. that happens, you get a book that breaks every border and boundary. Yeah. And uh, on the international level, and of course, agencies also play a very important role no? to bring translations or authors to other languages. They do, but for example, Norway has such a strong program on translation, but they also don't always get it right, and sometimes they do, and they are very receptive to languages coming in. Uh, I mean, I don't think there's a... I think we need to have a more nuanced code of what will work where. Yeah. Translations might be even easier to do in the brave new world ahead, where so many of them might be able to be accessible in on the internet, along with some bilingual readings a little bit, a little bit of conversations face-to-face -face with the writers. In the translation scene, that might just bring that degree of intimacy to the translation process. Just a thought. Yeah, oh, that's actually something to follow up on, absolutely. I wanted to ask you this question a little bit later, but I'm doing it now because it just fits right in here. Um, I remember uh, some years ago, you came to the Frankfurt Book Fair and you had this beautiful catalog of books, um, recommendations for translations from Indian literature into other languages, yes. Indian literature abroad. And I thought that was such a wonderful program. But I've, I think, I don't know, I haven't heard about it much after that. So what happened? No, you? that program was, I put so much work and effort into it. And I got so much support from the culture ministry in the early years. And then something very strange happens, which happens in any bureaucracy, that the two or three people in the culture ministry who were supporting it passionately, they left. And I can say it now, it's so many years later. There was just one individual in that ministry who was wanted to be a writer himself. And uh, he was also the financial advisor. And, and they just said, we'll do it ourselves. And uh, I didn't want to work on a compromise list. So there was a chance for me to continue there. But I saw that it was not going to happen with the integrity with which I wanted it. But having said that, that whole program had the support of so many wonderful people in the government. It's gone sort of quiet now, but it's been approved once by the government, it's there. I, as you may have noticed, I'm a very stubborn person. I never, never, never give up on anything. So in the back of my mind, if ever I get a chance to pick up, it was called Indian Literature Abroad, ELA. If I get a chance to pick up ELA again, if I find two receptive years, three or four people who agree to support it, you, I'll be coming back to you saying, what can we do with Indian Literature Abroad? Frankfurt yeah. or here or there. So it's very much in my mind because it's a necessary initiative, but it sometimes the moment disappears, as you know. Yeah, it does happen. But it'll come back. Yeah, well, we really hope for the best. Um, as you know, for Frankfurt Book Fair, literary agents, translations, all of those 
things are very uh, are central to what we do because we don't, don't only do the Frankfurt Book Fair itself, but also all the, our German book offices, our German literature stands at different book fairs. So basically, it's all about exchange. And that's why we have the guest of honor. And India actually was the first country which was the guest of honor twice at Frankfurt Book Fair in 1986 and in 2006. But And I think it did a lot and it created a lot of attention. But I still see that we don't have enough translations from Indian authors into German. And I mean, I've been to the uh, Jaipur Literary Festival quite a number of times. And every time I go to India and visit our office, I buy lots of books because I can't get them anywhere else. And you have fascinating authors, I must say. So I really do hope that we can see more of that in the future. I'm sure we will do that. Let me tell you about my uh, experience with the early years of the Frankfurt Book Fair. I came there, I think, in 1998 or 1999 as a visitor from courtesy the German uh, embassy in India. And uh, I was absolutely appalled and very angry to see the Indian stalls there because they were just a mess. You know, and I was very, very disappointed. So when I came back, I went to the National Book Trust, which was then headed by Nirmal Bhattacharya. And I said, next year, I don't care what happens. I want to help the National Book Trust put a catalog together from books which are not part of the National Book Trust. And he was very helpful. He said, go ahead. He sanctioned a very, very small sum of money, but it was symbolic because it meant he'd given me his active support. And I got all the publishers at that time, put a catalog together, and I didn't go, but he carried it for me. And, and then, of course, I did go in 2006 as a writer for the Year of India. And I think it was a magnificently done year. But again, I don't know how much came out of it. There has to be, I think, more clear strategizing on all sides. Yeah. So we need to continue to work on that and um, bring more Indian authors to, to Frankfurt and also more German authors to the Jaipur Literary Festival, which was, funny enough, also founded in 2006, which was the guest of honor year of India at the Frankfurt Book Fair. And it's now... 2008 grown. was... 2006, 2007, it was embedded in another festival. Mm -hmm. 2008 is the year Sanjoy Roy took over as a producer. So mm. we sort of look at it as when it was a standalone festival, the Jeopardy Festival. Ah, okay. It was from 2000. Yeah, yeah. And your literary festival really boomed and um, became one of the biggest worldwide, if not the biggest. And, and what, in your view, is the role of literary festivals, let's say, in normal times? And what is the most exciting thing for you as a festival director? Uh, I, I don't see the... Uh, Jaipur Literature Festival or indeed the Frankfurt Book Fair being curated with exactly the same architectural design of human space. We will have to look at it somewhere differently and also look at the great digital possibilities differently. And, but in all these important things, the sense of community is the key to it. So the question is how to keep that sense of community, those milling crowds, their thoughts which they share, but at the same time, uh, at least for a few years, 
maintain uh, some degree of uh, of whatever may be the norm at that time. And I'm sure we will find it. Human beings are an ingenuous lot and book lovers are a determined lot. And the book industry, because storytelling is the oldest industry, is the oldest profession in the world, whether it was shamans or whether it was holy men or whether it was mothers and grandmothers to make their children go to sleep. We've always been a, a species of storytellers. I have no idea whether other species tell stories, but if you are a human being, by uh, definition, you look at your own life as a narrative, you look at everything around you as a story and you interpret it in that linear fashion or in a circular fashion of a story. So I don't see books, book fairs ever going out of uh, being the center of human activity. But of course, we'll, we have to keep reinterpreting. And usually when technology comes to help us reinterpret, we do it even better. I mean, look at this. You and I are sitting and having this long chat across the world. I think it's an audio thing. When I'm looking at you, I can see the expressions on your face. And therefore, I'm picking up cues from your smile, from your eye contact. And I do feel I'm spending more quality time with you here today than I have spent for years and years and years. So there's a different sort of intimacy that we get. So yeah. I, I, okay, so that was and what gives me most delight as a, a festival director or as a curator of book events is when an underrepresented writer, somebody who is not getting his or her due, finds that moment where they can connect with all the other gatekeepers or all the other key people in the book. Apart from that, it's just the sheer joy of hearing a thousand flowers bloom kind of thing. I, I, it gives me a high like no other. Yeah. What about you? What, what tell me your thing now? It's not a one-way conversation. What <laughs> gives you most joy? Um, what gives me the most joy is when you try to bring things together and something works out. And yes, exactly. That's what I love these, this experience. Those mysterious connections happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yes, and I couldn't agree more. You put it, I said the same thing, but I said it in a more complicated way because I was trying to sound wise. But yes, that's it. Yeah. I'm very happy to be in this kind of work, to, to work in this kind of world, literary work, book world, where the exchanges mean so much. And the individual growth of people and the social, the growth as a society, yes. both of them. Absolutely. So much can happen. Yeah, very, very so true. Yeah. Fortunately, working with book. Yeah, absolutely. If I can ask that at this point in time, where do you see the literary festivals going? At, as you said earlier, we will probably never go back to a, a normal, to what we thought was normal before the, this crisis um, and some things will stay. So what do you think? What is the future of literary festivals and book events? I think it's too early to say. One, I, we at the Jaipur Literature Festival have begun a new initiative which is doing really and truly well. We've called it JLF Brave New World. And it's really a brave new world out there. And we have curated conversations in uh, on Wednesdays, Saturdays and Sundays right now. So it's six sessions a week as of now. And I don't want to overdo it because I feel there is just too much content, uncurated content, clogging up the internet. And when people come to hear our sessions, they know they will get something valuable. We've had some of the greatest and most wonderful writers from India, from around the world come and speak with us. Now, recently, there was a session with Margaret Atwood, which I thought I learned more from that session than I may have learned in a year of other sessions. Um, she put in so much intensity into it. We had a session with Pico Ayer, 
which gave me a sense of calm which I was lacking to deal with our time. We had Siddharth Mukherjee talking about the pandemic. But even in the digital world, I'm awaiting new interpretations and technologies. And I know this will happen within one year. I've worked in the past with as a consultant with some technology companies. I was a advisor to Sony in their technical branch many, many years ago for a while. I love technology. I respect technology. I think it is really an extension of our own creative jugar of how to see, how to uh, think, how to listen. Uh, and I know that there will be so many new dimensions on how we can interpret technologies and human interaction, marry them together and uh, have both physical and virtual meetings as long as the content as long as the conversation has the value of being spontaneous, of having high intellectual value, and not just the kind of self-expression that a lot of stuff in this age of anxiety, everybody seems to think, you know, when the, sorry to break the conversation, but when the publishing industry opened up to e-editions and to self-publishing, suddenly it was more democratic. Anybody and everybody could publish a book. And there were some great self-published books, but there were also a lot of books that we could have done without. And it's the same with the internet and digital platforms just now, that it's given free access to everybody to just go up there and read the poem that nobody really wants to hear or whatever. But all this will sort itself out and the best of it will find the attention, the exclusive attention of readers who want to cluster around it and listen. So I'm very, very hopeful about new dimensions that the Jaipur Literature Festival will take on. Uh, yeah, And it has already taken on with JLF Brave New World. I urge you and I urge all the listeners to this podcast to listen in to all the JLF handles and to some uh, extraordinary session really that interpret our world as it stands at the crossroads of so many things. Three times a week. JLF, Brave New World. But there are so many other people who are interpreting the digital space in so many ways and watching them with respect and admiration, trying to learn from them. We are all in this together. We are all swimming forward. Absolutely, but yeah. Even on the net, there has to be a curation. There has to be a brand of quality. Mm, yeah. And uh, just one more question about JLF, and it's expanding into so many different countries. Um, I think you are present in about eight countries nowadays, or you were up until now. In, in June, we would have done something in Ireland, which has been postponed for a bit. Uh, we would have done something in the British Library, which may be postponed for a bit. But otherwise, we may do a, a digital session curated for the British Library. We will curate digital editions of our four American sessions and uh, so on. Uh, we have sessions in, we have festivals in Houston, in uh, New York, in Boulder, Colorado, one of my most beloved of all these many festivals and last year in Toronto. We also have Adelaide. We also have um, Doha. Yeah. And I'm sure all of these will gain new dimensions and expressions because for me, meeting local writers, getting to know them, getting to know the heartbeat, the literary heartbeat in the heart of these places has been really, it's taught me so much. It's a learning, a transformative experience. I cannot overstate the value of our 
uh, uh, local and yet very cosmopolitan festivals in mm. my personal growth. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. I mean, Doha was a real surprise for me. But uh, then again, um, they are very active. The whole, uh, all of the girls. They have a beautiful national library the building the qatar yeah. national library is stunning and we discovered many uh, wonderful arabic women writers who were writing prolifically and mm. not being um, not noticed they were noticed within their community but we could uh, also platform them with us and uh, before we close because i can see we are winding down i want to say that at the moment my greatest passion is in two different fields um, which are related to each other I want to spend more time in the coming years working on folk tales and on oral literature. And I want to work and I will work on the folk tales and oral literature across the Himalayas because uh, this is a subject which is very, very, very close to my heart because my hometown is actually in the Himalayas. And uh, some years ago, we helped Yatra Books help to publish this translation from Russian and then from German of folk tales of Kumau, which had found their way in the last century these oral stories. So the interaction between oral stories and folk tales and the oral heritage which we can still retrieve if we record it, if we archive it, if we transmit it. I want people to set out in villages across uh, social distancing apart, whatever is possible, you know, where we can get people across the Himalayas to tell their stories. Uh, in, in the Bhutan festival, there used to be a 90-year-old lady who used to sing the old songs that were sung when a house was being built as the foundations were being laid. And there were people who would tell ghost stories in um, the style that they were told around the old campfires. So around the world, there are very few places where the old folk stories and oral heritage still remains possibly in the last uh, expression before it is lost, uh, as in the Himalayas. And I do hope I'm able to do this in the coming year. Or Your new novel will also have come out, right? hope so. Oh, okay. You know, we've always had four generations in our family. There's right now my mother and me and my daughters and my granddaughters. And my daughters grew up with my grandmother. So I think somewhere many families in India do still have intergenerational connections. And these have their own joys and contradictions. Let's see where it takes us. Mm, yeah, I'm certainly and I think many people will be much looking forward to see it. All right, then we're almost at the end. But one more question. Can you recommend for our readers, especially in these difficult times where everyone stays at home, two or three works of literature to read? From any language? I would straight away say the Meditations of Marcus Aurelius. That is Uh, I see today from the net that it is Marcus Aurelius's birthday today, some 1800 something years ago. And I think the stoic philosophy of Marcus Aurelius, the calm voice in which he shared his learnings has been one of the things that's given me a stable understanding of how life has to be lived. And that, you know, you had put this question to me earlier on, I hadn't thought about it. When you asked me, this is the, the first work that came to my mind. And uh, I also love the Bible. I think the Bible has some of the most beautiful language and poetry in the world. Uh, I'm coming up with all the religious ones today, but I'll also move on to the Bhagavad Gita, which has so many learnings. And um, there's a particular something called the Ishupanishad, the short 18-verse poem of learnings in India. I'm, I'm drawn to religious um, 
books these days or to semi-religious books for the reason that sometimes the greatest poetry of the world is available in them. The, the rhythm, the stately telling of these things, and I love to read things aloud sometimes, and it gives huge amount of joy in, in uh, times of, of questioning and anxiety. When you asked me this question, my mind was blank and I'm rather surprised at the reply I gave. But I guess that's the one that comes from my heart. Oh, These yeah. eternal books that survive. Marcus Aurelius, the Bible, the Bhagavad Gita and the Ishokesha. I gave you four, you asked for mm, Yes, thank you. One more, even better. <laughs> and uh, one more question. The last one, really. Is there any German author that you particularly like and that you can recommend? Absolutely. There, I would say two again. Uh, Thomas Mann is an author who I've read again and again and again in my childhood. And in fact, you could say Buddenbrooks, if that's how you say it, is a book that so many, all of Thomas Mann. Uh, which perhaps if I don't have in my bookshelf, I, this would be the time I would read again. But the Magic Mountain, um, so many of many of them about India. Also, there's one shortish book called The Transposed Heads, which is set in India. In fact. But yes, Thomas Mann certainly is the one. Uh, Hermann Hesse uh, again, if you were to take him as a German writer, not Siddharth, but some of the other books, uh, Narzis and Goldman. Yes. The old, old books. So I, you can see I'm an old lady going back to old books today. Yeah, maybe a time like this does bring us back to old, older books and the value that uh, they represent. Well, thank you so much. This was the one and only Namita Gokale sharing her journey and her passion for literature. Thank you for listening to us. Thank you, Namita, for giving us your time. We will continue to dive deeper into the creative industries. Our next speaker will be announced soon. Do keep a look out on our Instagram page for the next exciting speaker and share our comments with us at contact at newdelhi.gbo.org. Thank you. And this is Claudia Kaiser signing off. See you.